and we are going to be reading verses 17 through to verses 32. And it says, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you have heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Those who have been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they must have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Let's just pray for Tim before he comes to speak to us. Father, I want to thank you uh, for Tim. Father, thank you for all that he has prepared to speak to us this morning as we continue in our generosity series. And Father, as Tim speaks to us this morning on being generous with our words, I pray that you would really use him to speak into each of our lives, each of our situations, each of our relationships, that we may be a people who more readily glorify you in our lives. Amen. Morning, everybody. As Sarah said, we are coming to the end of a series today about uh, being generous people. Uh, what does it look like to be generous? And today, uh, as Sarah said, we're talking about how important our words are. And so as we jump into this, the power of words. Uh, in 1984, this man, Giles Brandreth, know him, did some research and wrote a book uh, on the use of our words. And he did some research estimating how many words the average person says in their lifetime. Now, of course, there is no such thing as the average person uh, because we all have different jobs, we're all different people. But he guessed through some interesting research that the average person says 860,341,500 words in their lifetime. Uh, whether or not that's accurate, and whether yours is 860,341,501, or whatever, the reality is we all know in the course of a lifetime we all have the opportunity to speak, if we can speak, words that have an impact. And today we're simply thinking about using those words well, using them for good rather than for harm. Uh, because you don't need me to tell you that the power of words uh, 
is very evident in our world. I don't know if you know who this guy is. This guy is a man named Roman Kent. Uh, he is a survivor of the Holocaust. Uh, he's a Polish Jew. Uh, he, during the war, was in three different concentration camps. Uh, his father uh, was killed uh, in the ghetto, and then his mother was killed at Auschwitz. He still, all these decades later, remembers the exact phrase that was used the first time he was racially abused as a child. He can still hear those words. And he says these words, most conflict starts with words. And in the context of the Holocaust, words used by a master propagandist like Goebbels could not have been more powerful. Of course, a word is not a gun. Words don't kill you at once, but they create conditions where people lose their inhibitions about doing dreadful things. And then he says these words. In the end, words can do far greater damage than a bullet. And interestingly, and I think challengingly for us, he goes on to say, I've noticed over the years that in relation to the Holocaust, in the media there's a tendency to sanitize the past. People say that, quote, six million people were lost or perished. They were not lost. They were not misplaced. They were imprisoned, starved, tortured, murdered, and burned. It was indifference and the silence of people which led to the Holocaust. I would tell people not to turn away to say something because words can be used for good too. And many of us in our lives know the lasting damage that words can do. And if I was to guess, there are many people in this room right now that you have had things said to you or said about you that maybe even decades later still burn, still hurt, still tear. And perhaps some of us, if we're honest, have also said words that burn, tear, and of course pain maybe even decades later. Later on, as Sarah's mentioned, there's an opportunity for us to pray into this. And for some of us, there is stuff that we still hold. And this morning, there is an opportunity to pray that God would set us free from those words that have caused us so much pain. But of course, words are not just powerful in a negative way. Uh, Proverbs in the Bible says death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life. And you don't need to remind me, you, of the power of encouragement. Come on, you can do it. We've all been in situations where words we have said to somebody, we've seen their posture rise. Their confidence sort of grow as we've encouraged them and in inspired them. I remember a, a little while ago being at Coxmoor Leisure Centre over in King's Heath with Noah, uh, my, uh, one of my sons. And we were swimming, and if you know Coxmoor, they've got that kind of slide, I don't know what you call it these days, flume, whatever, you know, those water slide things. 
And he was at the stage where he wanted to do it, but didn't want to do it. You know, he, he wanted to do it, but he was a bit nervous about it. And so we had this conversation at the bottom of the steps. Daddy, daddy, I want to, but I'm not sure. Well, why don't we go to the top of the steps? So at least we can go. You don't have to do it. And so we had enough confidence and courage to get to the top of the steps. And then, of course, you look over. Boy, it's quite high up. Daddy, daddy, I really want to, but I'm not sure. And then we had this conversation. Let's just go and sit in front of it, you know, and we get there. And then between my legs, we kind of, are you ready? We want to do it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the look on his face as we got to the bottom of real, yeah, I did it. All because of encouragement. We've all experienced the power of people saying, you can do this. Well done. Be encouraged. That was great. Keep going. Words are powerful. And so in this series, as we come to the end of it, being generous with our words is really important. And we have already reflected on through this series that generosity is usually associated with giving stuff, giving gifts, giving money, being generous. But we've tried to broaden out a little bit as the Bible does. And look at these words from Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. Famous words all about a church being generous with their money. But look carefully. Since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, in the love we've kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Do you see that? Grace, the, the giving, being generous with your giving, is not isolated. And so therefore it's important, like this church, to be generous with our speech, with our words, using our words well to build up and to give life rather than to destroy and cut down. And so in this passage that Sarah read to us, there's four key elements that we're briefly gonna race through. Four key aspects to our words and how we use our words that will be generous and will really lead to positive rather than negative things. So here's the first thing. In our speech, even in our writing, whatever it may be, let's use words that are true. Words that are true. Now I won't ask for a show of hands to know who's old enough to remember this cover of Time magazine. 1966, this cover of Time magazine. Oh, we've already had one hand. Thank you, Harry, for being brave enough to admit it. Famous, famous front cover, really reflecting the mood of the day in which was, there was this sort of newfound confidence, post-war, in the Cold War, yeah, we don't need God anymore. Is God dead? Have we passed him? We've kind of grown out of him. Thinking with a real arrogance that our world was kind of heading away from faith in God. And of course, now, these decades later, we see how foolish that is, whereas the research tells us more and more people globally uh, are expressing a need for God and in some sort of institutional religion. But did you see the cover of Time magazine the other day? Fascinating. If that was the mood in the 60s, this is the front cover of Time magazine just recently. Is truth dead? Reflecting, of course, the culture we're in of fake news and spin. And can we really trust anything anyone says anymore? where we have people in public literally saying one thing one week and another thing another week and experiencing no qualms about that. How is truth dead these days 
where people use language not to convey information, but to manipulate, to influence people. And as long as I influence somebody for my goals, it doesn't matter whether what I've said to get there is true or not. Or contrast that with what Paul says to this church in Ephesus. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Now, now this letter to the church in Ephesus is all about a group of people who are both Jews and Gentiles. They come from mixed backgrounds. And Paul's reminding them what it means to be Christians in this environment, that they are one body, they're united together. They may have different backgrounds, but they are one. And therefore, what does it look like to live as one, different but the same? And he gives lots of different dimensions to what it means to be in Christ. And in this passage, of course, he particularly refers to a number of things, including our speech. Put off falsehood, speak truthfully, he says. Or you could say, don't speak like this. Now, I won't ask for a show of hands, uh, and hopefully none of us have ever been in court <laughs> where we've done that. But the reality is I'm guessing that many of us have used language, used words to convey something we want to, but we know deep down it was not the complete story. One author, Gary Chapman, uh, uses a really helpful visual picture of, of, of words in which he says you can either use words as bullets or as seeds. When we use words as bullets, we are the dominator. We want to achieve something. We want to win. We want to end this argument. We want, it's an act of power, our words are. Whereas in contrast, in our relationships, the better way is to use words that are seeds. Words that flourish the relationship so that out of this conversation or whatever it may be, the relationship would grow rather than us achieving our end. Do you see the difference? And that's of course true when we think of speaking words truthfully, not with falsehood. Because often when we're using words with our fingers behind our backs, it's because we don't want to bear the brunt. We want to achieve certain things for our ends, even sometimes well-meaning ends, but it's about us rather than fostering the relationships all around. And, and there's two ways that this might appear, I think. I was reflecting on what this might look like in our lives. Uh, uh, you can think of other things, but here's two ways that I, I reflected on. Firstly, there's a note of caution for those of us who give compliments precisely because we want compliments back. Now, I don't think I'm alone in doing this, but you know, you sort of say positive things about someone as a sort of fishing for praise back because you're feeling low or whatever it might be. There's nothing, you know, it's normal, we all do it in one sense. But of course, therefore, if I'm giving a compliment to James here, he's thinking, wow. Whereas actually what I'm thinking is, it's all about me. In other words, my compliment may not be wholeheartedly trusted because actually it's about me. There's not really a truthful statement, even if the compliment is right. 
because I'm not giving it in the way that it's really meant. I'm actually giving it to get stuff back for myself. That's one way. Speaking truthfully, we've got to have a caution with. But here's another way. For those of us who are Christians, and you can disagree with me after this, I look forward to the discussions. I think if we're encouraged to put off falsehood and speak truthfully, there's a note of caution if we have a tendency to sort of speak spiritualized mistruths. What do I mean by that? I know in my life there have been a number of times where I have made a decision to do something, but then when I've talked about that decision with others, I've used phrases like, I'm convinced God has asked me to, or God has called me to do this. And the reason why I use those words is because I know that decision I've made may offend or upset that person. And so therefore, if I use words like God has called me to, I don't get the blame, God does. In other words, I'm spiritualizing something that may or may not be true, whereas actually it might be my decision. That doesn't mean God wasn't calling me to it or whatever, but actually, it's all about me again. Do you see? What does it mean in your life to speak words truthfully? It's the first thing. Being generous means speaking words of truth. Uh, the second aspect is this. Not only speak words that are true, speak words that are helpful. Look at verse 29 that, that Paul wrote. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what's helpful for building others up. Other translations, rather than the word unwholesome, use phrases like no corrupting talk or no foul or abusive words. And again, I'm guessing that there are people in this room you have experienced and heard and know the pain of those sort of words. In the letter, in the book of James, we read these words about the power of the tongue. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark, the tongue's a fire. Even just one word said in passing, we know the fire of pain that it can cause. Words have huge power, but in contrast, don't let unwholesome talk come out of your head, but only what's helpful for building others up. Now, how might that look in our lives? Well, again, I was reflecting on this, and I think a particular way that we can apply this is when we have to give feedback. Now, this might be in a formal environment in our work. We have to give feedback to colleagues or to our you know, people that are at work for us or whatever it might be. But actually, it's in all our relationships, when we have give feedback to our children or, or to our partner or to our friends or to our mum or dad about something. It may not be formal. Sit down, child, I'm going to give you some feedback. But we all give feedback all the time, don't we, about life. And there's this, this is a helpful way, I think, of thinking about this. So using this, at the top, you've got sort of positive comments. And at the bottom, you've got sort of negative comments. Uh, and then on the left, you've got specific comments, detailed. And on the right, you've got general sort of comments. Now, here's the truth about this. Specific positive comments and general negative comments have the most lasting, long-lasting impact. And of course, we want 
positive impact. We don't want long-lasting negative impact. So let me explain the difference. So for example, if we're giving a positive comment, a specific positive comment might be, it was really good when you did this, dot, dot, dot. A general positive comment would just, yeah, you were great. Both might make the person feel great, but actually the one that will have the most lasting impact is the specific detail because next time they try and do it, they'll think, oh, I remember that went well, so I can do that again. Whereas you were great just makes them fantastic, yay. Compare that also to negative feedback. Specific negative feedback, next time I'd suggest improving dot, dot, dot. Specific, constructive. Compared to, that was rubbish. Which one has the most impact long term is that that was rubbish because it could just deflate. There's nothing anyone can do with it. It just cuts people down. Rather than this could be improved, try next time. Next time that person does it, it might make them feel bad, but next time they'll try and change. Do you see? So therefore, specific, both positive and negative are the best way to give feedback. That is helpful. Helpful feedback. But you notice something else. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what's helpful for building others up. This means the purpose of our words is to build others up, not ourselves up. We've already reflected on that. But this might have an impact in a number of ways. I don't know if you're like me, but if somebody gives me negative feedback, my automatic default position is to go on defensive. Yeah, well, you did this. How dare you critique me? You did this, don't you know? And of course, what that enables me to do is to sidestep any criticism because them. Whereas actually, if my words are about building others up in a helpful way, there's no room for defensiveness, is there? No room at all. So the words we give are about lifting people's heads rather than cutting them down. Somebody shared with me last week, as I spoke this, uh, gave this message last week over at Queensbridge, somebody came up to me afterwards and said, did you know the research suggests that one negative word needs six positive words to counteract it? Because we automatically believe the negative, whereas it takes six positive words to counteract that. So in our speech, look to build up rather than to crush in a helpful way. But Paul goes on to show how we might be helpful. Yes, use words that are true. Yes, use words that are helpful. But thirdly, use words, therefore, that are personal. Personal. Look at 29 again. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Only what's helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. It's about them not me. And therefore, if I've given some feedback, some encouragement, but they've not heard it, it may not be their issue. It may be the way I need to communicate it. Because we're thinking about being personalized according to their needs so that it might benefit those who listen. 
So when we're talking with others, say we're wanting to encourage somebody or give some feedback, a great thing to ask is, how best will they hear this? I love this cartoon. The wife saying, you never listen to me, you only hear what you want to hear. And the husband saying, sure, I'll have a beer. (laughs) Some of us listen, some of us don't, some of us hear what we want to hear rather than what is actually being said. But if we apply these words, it means asking, what does this person right now need to hear to build them up? And can I say, if somebody has just used a lot of energy in doing something, often then is not the right time or the best time to give negative feedback. Because they're empty, they're exhausted. So for example, if somebody has spent all morning setting up on a Sunday morning to do so to enable us in our worship, there's a lot of energy involved with that. The most encouraging thing is to build them up to say thank you so much. Here, let me help. Let me get alongside you and partner with you. Rather than pointing out ways they could have done it better there and then. It doesn't mean that you're not right, but actually what is best at building others up according to their needs. So use words that are true, use words that are helpful, use words that are personalized. But finally, there's this. Use words that are full of compassion. Full of compassion. Do you see right at the end of the reading we had? Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. That word compassion literally means to suffer with someone. If I'm being compassionate to somebody, I am suffering with them. In contrast to that, of course, is brawling, slander, rage, anger, malice. Whereas suffering with somebody means I stand alongside them and says, we're in this together, we're not against, we're for going together. Kindness, forgiving. And of course, if we don't act with compassion, if we don't act with forgiveness, it puts us as higher than the other person. But you may be asking as we come to a close, that's all very interesting, but how on earth is this possible? Uh, Some of us have said words that we regret. Some of us try to, oh, and it just comes out and we just wish, oh boy, wish I could grab that back, rein it back in. How is all this possible? Well, look at the end of verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, Forgiving each other just as in Christ, God forgave you. That changes everything. It changes everything for those of us who've had stuff said to us that even decades later still hurts. Because we realize those comments that have been so destructive in our lives When we look at the cross of what Jesus has done, we realize that the God of all eternity is for us. 
that the God of the heavens loves us and loves you so much that his son came and gave his all for you. So those words of critique or criticism that have so lasted in your life, you can lift your eyes and listen in to not those words, but to the words of God who says, I love you, I've given all for you. That changes everything. That sets us free because we realize that many of those things that have been said over us are just lies rather than the truth of heaven. God saying, I'm for you, you're my child. But it also helps those of us who we know we've said words that we wish, we wish, we wish we could take back and turn back time and just phrase it differently or say something in a different way. And of course it shows us that for us, there is forgiveness. That actually someone has dealt with all that. That we can be free from that as well. And yes, because of that freedom, we may need to make sort of amends with that person, say, I'm really sorry for saying that. I didn't mean it, I, I'm really, I don't know. But it means because we know we are forgiven. We don't have to pretend that we're better anymore. And so in a moment as we come to pray, there's an opportunity for us to respond. To this morning say, let's listen to God's words over us so that we then might speak those same words of hope, of compassion, of kindness and forgiveness to other people as one. Words of generosity. And so yes, speak words of truth. Yes, speak words that are helpful. Yes, speak words that are personal but speak them with compassion. And the reality is we need all four, don't we? Sometimes we can speak words of truth and not with compassion. Sometimes we can speak words with compassion, but not in a particularly helpful way at that particular time. But let's be people who respond to God's words over us in Jesus and be generous with our words. Shall we stand together? Please stand. As Sarah had mentioned, there's an opportunity for us to pray. And I would guess that there are people here that you can still hear those words that people have said to you or over you or about you. And you want to be free from them. In a moment as the band lead us as we respond, I'd love to encourage you to head to the back there and the prayer team will be there. And it may be that you've never gone for prayer and it's seen a big deal for you to go. The reality is we're all in that boat, aren't we? And as such, it's a good thing to ask for prayer. People don't need to know the details, but you just might want to go and say, can you pray for me that I'd be free from something that's been said about me or over me? And for others of us, it may be that we know that we're the ones who've said those stuff and we want to be forgiven and we want to just be free from the guilt about that. Well, as we respond together, uh, the prayer team are going to be at the back. Just come forwards to the back, uh, and we'd love to pray with you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you that, um, that when we hear the words that you've said about us, they're words of love, of life, of hope, of healing of forgiveness, that you call us your children, loved, 
And so, Father, I pray we'd hear those words. And therefore, we would then speak those sort of words to those around us with generosity, wanting to lift up, to build up, pointing others to your amazing grace. Meet with us now, we pray, Holy Spirit, for the glory of Jesus we ask. Amen.